All right. Good morning. How was everyone? How's everyone doing? Storms are coming, but we, we know who's in control of the storm. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to try not to preach extra long, maybe a little bit shorter, not, not too much shorter, and uh, try to get you guys out of here so you can drive home. They are saying that um, the, the storm's really going to start hitting at noon unless that's changed since last night. I haven't checked uh, news or anything. Has it changed? Three o'clock. Great. I'm going longer today. All right. Here we go. That's perfect. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Everyone say thank you, Ken Kayla. Thank you. Woo. All right. No, it's so, so good to see you. You know, here's the deal. You know, we were kind of, um, we were hearing about it. And, you know, typical Californians, you know, I don't know if you're kind of like us a little bit. We're like, really? Come on. Hurricane? California? Come on. Come on. But um, no, seriously, as the week progressed, you know, we were thinking, oh, this is wonderful, right? We, um, we planned like a big day today. We had lots of testimonials. Um, we're going to really start tapping into stories more and testimonials and, and, and people sharing. And um, so we had a whole bunch of people that we're going to share today. It was one service so we can go longer. And we were just going to promote community groups we were going to launch today. We were going to launch a new series in the Gospel of John. And this week, uh, you know, we had to make a call that based on the storm weather prediction that I, I don't know, right? I didn't know if we would be able to have service or not. And so, um, so everything's getting moved to next weekend, okay? So Steve is our guest preacher next weekend, um, so I'm going to have to postpone the Gospel of John. I want us to launch together, especially in our community groups, and we've, we've still got testimonials, but um, hey, for those of you that did come, thank you for coming, right? For those of you that just felt like, you know what, it's better to stay home, hey, thanks for chiming in. So um, I want to encourage you to pull out your message notes. We're going to be talking about putting our confidence in God. And I want to read two verses for you from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, probably one of the most popular verses in all the Bible outside of John 3, 16 and some other verses. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We're going to get right into it. No intro. Here's point number one. Ready? Put your confidence in God. This is what King Solomon uh, one of the wisest men to have ever lived wrote scripture. He gives us this, this, these, these nuggets of truth. He says, literally, put your confidence in God. In verse 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You know, when you look at the, the word trust in the Hebrew, it carries the idea of support, it means to lean. It means to stretch out on. It means to place your weight on. Came across a story years ago. Attorney David Gibbs tells a story about a time that he was, um, he was doing a lawsuit in Alaska. And they were out in the Aleutian Islands and they were heading back to Anchorage and then onto his house. He had his airline ticket in his pocket and was in line to board the plane when a local pastor came up to him and said, listen, I can save you money. David said, how's that? He said, I flew a small plane up here and I can fly you in my little airplane and can save your ticket. 
He said, gee, thank you so very, very much, but I've got this ticket, and we will just make our way home, me and this other lawyer with me. And he said, no, 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 you, you've got to do this. I, I could save you money. And David, who's a lawyer, said, he said, and against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. So they went out to the airport. He took them by his plane. Uh, David looked at it and thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then the pastor walked around it. They all get in. David is on the right, and the other lawyer is sitting behind him. The pastor starts the plane, and it started up just fine, and he began to taxi out. They taxi out, and David asked the pastor, Pilate, Pastor Pilate, should we pray? The pastor said, yeah, that's a good idea. Normally, we don't. David said, well, this time we're going to. David said he prayed five to eight minutes. They got on the runway, started going down the runway, and the plane lifted off ever so gently and started climbing. Everything was going so wonderful, not a problem in the world. They climbed higher and higher and flew probably three to four minutes when things began to change. The pilot turned to him and said, we're going in the clouds, and I can't fly in the clouds. They make me pass out. David says, clouds make you do what? They go right into the clouds, and they can't see anything. The pilot looks at David. His eyes roll back in his head, and he starts mumbling, and then he passes out cold. David shakes the pilot, but no response. They're flying in the clouds, flying along without a pilot. The guy in the back seat, his friend, who's another lawyer, says, we're dead, aren't we? David says, there's a very good chance of that. I personally heard attorney, this, a lawyer, David Gibbs, tell this story. And uh, I want to encourage you to Google it. Attorney David Gibbs, you'll probably be able to find it. It's probably one of the most moving, powerful stories I've ever heard in my life. So I thought about playing it for you, but I'm just going to read, read you the story. They noticed the radio there, and they picked it up. They, they didn't know any of the radio lingo or etiquette, so they just started saying, hello, hello. Finally, they get a response, and they answer and say, hello, hello. Don't you guys know any proper radio etiquette? They explain the situation to the person on the radio. We're on an airplane in the clouds with a passed-out pilot, and we have no idea how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. You're telling me you have nobody that can fly that plane with you? David tells his friend, tell him that's correct. At this point, David says he is sweating bullets. The pilot says, I'm going to start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. I'm going to get Anchorage Emergency for you and they will try to help you and save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on and said, we understand that you have a passed out pilot and you don't know how to fly that plane. They said, that's right. Anchorage said, the first thing we need to do is find you. David said, I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. But here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, 
you have to promise me that you'll obey my voice. You can't see me, but I can see you. And if you're not going to obey my voice, you're going to die. He said, I I found you, but you're four minutes from a mountain and you're gonna crash in that mountain and die unless you follow my voice. David said, I never said, I have to follow your voice. Is that reasonable? David understood that without his voice, he had nothing. Without God's voice, we have nothing. Finally, he got them turned and, and said, I'm, I'm, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area and it's gonna take you an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage and there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. If you start watching the storm, you will die, but I will take you through it. Because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to them. And they started telling David and his friend, we're praying for you men. You're gonna make it, listen to the voice. That's the key, trust the voice. They went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and said, now, I'm gonna line you up. I'm gonna bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway, there are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. He finally brings them down and they still can't see anything. All he kept saying was, stay with me. They saw the cross a couple hundred feet off the ground. They landed the plane. The minute they landed the plane, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watched them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand. I am the one who can see them even though they can't see me. They get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. They then put them in a motel room and about four in the morning, there was a knock on the door. David opened the door and the man standing there said, hello, David. David said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. And the man responded, I am. David Gibbs ends the story by saying, someday you're gonna stand before him. You're gonna stand before God and you're gonna say, you were the voice. You were the voice that brought me home. And David, in this uh, amazing story, he says, listen to God's voice. Don't watch the storm. God will bring you safely home. It's interesting that I tell the story today in the midst of a storm coming. But um, listen to the voice. You know, our culture says, Listen to yourself. Our culture says, tap into who you are, right? Believe in yourself. You know, it's about you. You're the determiner of truth. Listen to to your inner feelings. Cozy up to, to what your emotions are telling you to do, right? Tap into your gut. Look within, you know? Tap into the force within you, this like Star Wars theology, which is so crazy, right? Our culture says trust in yourself. 
But God says the exact opposite. God says, trust in me. You know, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he said, the heart is desperately wicked. Like the Bible is crystal clear about our spiritual condition, about our lostness, about our separation, about our our need for God, about our inability to trust ourselves, about, you know, really, I mean, ultimately we must place all of our faith and all of our trust in God. We need to follow his voice. Faith is what you put your trust in. Saving faith has an object. If someone says they're a person of faith but there's no object, they're not a person of faith. They just got this pie in the sky theology, right? This superficial, you know, um, superficial faith that really isn't faith at all. Faith is rooted in a person. Genuine saving faith is rooted in Christ. If your faith is not rooted in Jesus, you're not a believer. You may think you're a believer, right? Your parents may have told you you're a believer. Maybe you're writing the coattails of mom and dad when it comes to you know, their faith, your faith. You're just holding on. But listen, genuine saving faith has an object. Christ is the object. Faith is what we put our trust in. God calls us to trust him and him alone. This is where the worldviews collide. A, a worldview is, is the lens, uh, the glasses in, in, which, in, in how you see the world. It, it, it defines it. It shapes your, your values, what you believe to be true. There is a God... There is a God who's revealed himself in the Bible. There is a God who has sent his son Jesus to this broken earth. There is a God that has paved the way for us to know him. So sometimes people say, is there a God that I can put my trust in? Is there a God that has created me, that knows me? Is there a God that loves me in spite of my weaknesses and my imperfections and my shortcomings and my sin and my brokenness? And the answer is, A million times yes. There is this God that created you, that knows you. Every hair on your head, he sees every step. He sees, he catches every thought. He he sees every motive of the heart. He sees sees every decision you make. He sees sees all of your life. And, And yet, and yet, he still sent his son Jesus to die for you. This is where worldviews collide. Is there a God that I could put my trust in? You know, what takes more faith? Think about this for a moment. What takes more faith? Believe that there's a personal God that made personal beings that deserve human rights based on their creation or an impersonal universe that just randomly created personal beings with human rights that evolved over time. There's a personal God. There's a personal God that made personal beings. America's mantra, trust in yourself. The God that we worship, the God that we follow says, jettison the the false belief in believing in yourself. That's America's mantra. That's America's culture. You know, just pull up your bootstraps, believe in yourself. You can do it. No, God can do it through you. We have to believe that, that God is the one orchestrating everything in our lives. We need to trust in him. He's the source He's the source for everything. He's the one that we anchor our lives to. Trust in the Lord. It means to put your full weight on him. Sometimes I don't put my full weight on him. 
Here lately, I've been like tempted to like put, put my, some of my weight on my own understanding. You know, balancing, trusting God, trusting myself, you know. You know? That happens in life. We gotta trust God. We gotta be willing to say, God, I'm, you know, I don't know how this is gonna shake out in my life, whatever you're facing, but you're willing just to just put all of your weight, all of your trust on him. When we went to Costa Rica just a few weeks ago, uh, with the young adults and some high school students, and I think we had a team of like 15, we went to Costa Rica. Anybody ever been to Costa Rica, right? Okay, so we were like in the city of San Jose. You know, we didn't go to the mountains with the waterfalls. We were there to tell people about Jesus. Uh, really, really pretty landscape uh, of that area, uh, but the food wasn't very good. I'm just saying, all right, I'm just saying. Um, there was like 60 of us, and we were all in big buses, and it was just crazy, and they took us to these malls, massive malls. They were like palaces. They were like beautiful. I mean, it just, it rivaled any mall in America. I was stepping into the mall and I was like, wow, this is like, this is like incredible. It really wasn't a true reflection of whatever, what everything else looked like. But we, we went in there pretty much every day and to this food court to get food. And uh, at this particular mall, we were on the second floor and, and uh, I was trying to get to a different location. And I started walking on the second floor and there was kind of like this, um, I don't know what you want to call it, just kind of like this walk bridge area. And I started walking and it had these massive um, sections of glass on the floor. And I didn't realize it until I started walking. And literally when I came up on it, I just started backing off real quick, right? I I didn't realize like it was glass. And uh, I actually like kind of tiptoed over it, right? Just kind of made me nervous, right? I don't know. I'm just not into that standing on glass, being able to see the, the first floor. I'm just not into that. It's a great illustration of that's what it means to trust God, right? That's what it means to put your full weight on God. That's what it means to lean on God when, when you're shaky, when you're like, whoa, what's going on? You know, when it makes you feel uncomfortable, when you've got anxiety or worries or stress, you're willing to walk on the glass because you know the foundation is secure. How are we to trust God as believers? Proverbs says, trust God with all your heart. This, this word heart is one of the mega themes in the book of Proverbs. It appears in derivatives and forms over 900 times in the Bible. 900 times. So if, if, if a, a theme, a, a, a truth appears over 900 times, it must be pretty important. The Hebrews defined and looked at the heart differently than we do. For us, the heart is emotion and feelings. It's Valentine's Day. It's, it's the physical blood pumping organ in our body. For the Hebrews, they viewed the heart as the core of who you are, the center of everything about you, the center and seat of of your rational and emotional lives. The heart is the center essence. It's your nature, the core of your being. You know, we have a phrase that says, let's get to the heart of the matter right? Let's get to the core issue. Let's get to the center of it all. Let's get to what's most important. To the Hebrews, what's most important is the heart. The heart is the center and source of the inner life, source of everything. Proverbs says, as in water, face reflects face. 
so the heart of man reflects the man. The heart is a reflection of who you are. If you want to know who you are, really take a look at your heart. The heart is the seat where everything kind of comes from. All of your emotions, all of your decisions, all of your thinking. So take some inventory. Think about your life. Think about your decisions and your motives and your emotions and your thinking. That, that's going to be a reflection of really who you are. You know, Jesus, he took 613 commandments in the Old Testament and he boiled them down to two. You know, he was, you know, there was a lawyer that was trying to trap him and trick him, right? And, and he boiled it down to two. He basically summarized the entire Bible in two very simple statements. Love God, love people. Love God with all your mind, your soul, your strength, and your heart. Trusting God with all of our heart, with all of our whole hearts, all of our allegiance, our commitment, our dependence. God says, listen, I want you to trust me. I want you to follow my voice. When I speak, you can't see me, but I can see you. That's what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. You know, the future is unknown. We, we don't see the future, but God sees the future. He knows the future. And God is orchestrating events in your life to bring about good for you and to put a spotlight on his glory. I love what Jesus said in John 10, 27 to 29. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. So we are sheep. He is the shepherd. He's the chief shepherd, right? And we are a part of God's flock, we're part of his family. He's the one that's guiding and feeding and protecting us. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Are you listening to his voice? And then he says, I know them. He, Jesus says, I know you. I know your name. I know your life story. I know everything about you. That's who you are. That's your identity. Don't have the culture tell you, you know, who you are. Your identity is connected to Christ. Your identity is you are in Christ. You are known by Christ. You are loved by Christ. And then he goes on, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So trusting God is a matter of following and listening and heeding God's voice. You and I can trust God because we're safe in the hands of God. This is what Jesus said. You're in the hands of Jesus, and Jesus is in the hands of the Father. It's a double grip on your life. Are we listening to the voice of God? Are we listening to the voice of God? What God wants us to do, what God's calling us to do. One of our greatest fears is can we trust God unconditionally? Can we trust God unconditionally? No matter what comes our way, can he be trusted? If there are any ifs. I found this on the web. No, you did not. No, you did not. No, you did not find that on the web. Okay, I'm gonna turn you off. That's never happened to me before, right? Um, well, maybe Suri wanted to answer. Let's see, what she, let's see what she says here. Okay. 
So let me give you a few fill in blanks. How do you know if you're trusting God? Number one, are you willing to do whatever God says in scripture about a particular issue, whether you agree with it or not? That's where the rubber meets the road right there. Are you willing to do whatever God says? Are you willing to listen to God's voice, follow his voice, heed his commands, trust him, even though you may not fully agree? Maybe your feelings tell you otherwise. Trust in yourself, tap tap into your emotions, tap into the force within you. Listen, when it comes to scripture, all scripture is inspired by God, which means it's breathed out by God. So God wrote a book, he wrote many books, two testaments, 39 books, right? In the old, 27 in the new, 66 total. It's a love letter. God's written this love letter so we can know him intimately. He can be trusted. Because the landscape of biblical revelation is there is a holy God and humanity is broken and God has been and is pursuing humanity so that we might know him. He has paved a way for our sins to be forgiven, for us to know him in in a real intimate way. When it comes to issues that maybe we struggle with, God has the final say. He's the one who holds the trump card. Here's number two. Are you willing to accept anything God sends your way whether you understand it or not? This is a big one right here that we all face in our lives. There are things that come cascading into our lives that we just don't understand. God, why are you doing this? God, why are you allowing this? And sometimes we don't know, right? One thing that I learned years ago when it comes to like trials and suffering and pain or just just facing adversity, focus on what you know, not on what you don't know. But sometimes as believers, we get so caught up on, you know, we got to figure it out. We're focusing on what we don't know. Focus on what you do know. What do we know in spite of the disappointments of life? In the face of adversity, when suffering comes crashing on your doorstep, what do you know? You know that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is kind, that God is in control, that you're in the Father's hands. God will not allow anything to happen to you unless he wills it, unless he allows it. And so we have to tap into the promises of God knowing that, listen, God has this wonderful, awesome plan for our lives. And we may not understand what's just kind of unfolding. We may not understand what God is sending us through, but he can be trusted. No matter what comes our way, we can accept the hand that's been dealt to us by God because it's ultimately for our good. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. It's ultimately for our good. And the end game is to put a spotlight on the glory of God. God allows us to go through things so that he ultimately gets the glory. I think sometimes we, we forget about that. I mean, the greater truth is not so much that, you know, you receive good out of the hardships of life. God gets the glory. God should always get the glory. He gets the glory in every story. In every book, in every chapter, God is always getting the glory. I mean, that's, this is why the world exists. The world exists for the glory of God. It's for his glory. What is God's glory? It is 
the most important, greatest thing in all of the universe. It's God's glory. The glory of his name. The glory of, of, his, of his attributes and what he's doing in our lives. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Number two, point number two, don't rely on your own wisdom. You know, the opposite of trusting in God is leaning on our own understanding. Our nature is bent to be self-reliant, self-sufficient, independent. I want to call the shots. I want to be the captain of my soul, right? I want to be number one. I want to take life into my own hands. When it comes to spiritual matters, people say, I can find my way to God. We live in a postmodern culture where, you know, truth is made up. You know, be true to yourself. Truth doesn't exist. That is leaning on your own understanding. We don't come to mathematics and say that truth doesn't exist. Two plus two is four, not five. It has always been four. It will always be four. There is truth when it comes to gravity. Get on a very tall building. Believe that you can jump off that building and you're going to be able to fly. No, you're not. You're going to fall off that building and you're going to splatter to the ground and you're going to die. There's truth. There's truth when it comes to um, the complexities and the design of the universe. There's truth when it comes to mathematics. There's truth when it comes to spiritual things. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except by me. When we say we can get around Jesus to get to heaven, you're leaning on your own understanding. And, and, and what shapes that belief for you? What is the, the, the foundation? What is the source for why you believe that? You know, how do we respond to to adversity. We, we can't lean into ourselves. We've got to lean into God's wisdom and goodness. You know, I don't have it in your notes, but I love what uh, the little brother Jesus, no, the little brother James of Jesus, the little brother of Jesus, James. Okay, all right. You, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. James, James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Anybody lacking wisdom? Anybody not lacking wisdom? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Right, the problem is universal. It applies to all of us. Every single one of us lacks wisdom. The word lack, if anyone lacks wisdom, the word lack means it's, um, it means to be deficient. It's actually a banking term. It means that when you lack something, you're short on money in the Greek. So God is saying, if any of you is short on wisdom, come to me. We're short on wisdom. There are decisions and opportunities and countless problems that we face daily. I learned from a pastor years ago, and uh, I try to apply it. Sometimes I forget. But he said the one prayer that he prays every day as he's headed to work is, God, give me wisdom. And I think that's a good prayer to pray every day. God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. I need a heart of wisdom. We need, um, we need wisdom because, you know, crises uh, come into our lives. There's career moves. There's uh, 
Sometimes maybe you're, you're faced with a, a difficult parenting situation, right? Um, may, maybe your, your marriage is on the rocks or on the brink of divorce. Maybe you're, you're stressed out financially. The bills are coming in. There's, there's more expense than income. And you don't know what to do. And you're, maybe you're navigating a, a spiritual conversation with someone in your oikos and you don't know what to say. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you is short on wisdom, if you're deficient, ask God. And he gives generously without reproach. He gives generously, I love that, with no strings attached. He says, you want wisdom? I'll give it to you. I'll dole it out to you. He's a giving God. He's a, he's a God with open hands. And God's not a fault finder. It says, he gives generously to all without reproach. He's not a fault finder. When you come to him, he's not, he's not trying to point out your faults and your failures. He doesn't play the shame game. He's not gonna scold you or rebuke you for coming to him. He's not gonna make you feel guilty. There's no fear in coming to God. Trusting him, following him. God never says, stop bothering me. You know, Proverbs 3 says, Chapter three, verse seven, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I mean, really, th that next verse, verse seven, is, is really kind of a, a summary of verses five and six. Like, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in God, right? Fear God. That, that, word, that word fear means to have a, um, an, a feeling of awe and reverence and respect for God. That's what it means to fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs tells us. Fearing God, that's the beginning of a relationship with God. Having this fear, this, this, um, this feeling of God is awesome, and God is holy, and he's worthy of my worship, and he's worthy of my praise. That's what it means to fear God. Not this cowering, God's gonna hit me, God's gonna hurt me kind of a fear. No, it's a, it's a healthy, godly fear. We come before the Lord with this, with this awesome awe and reverence for God. Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Here's point three. Include God in every area of your life. Include God in every area of your life. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. The word acknowledge means to recognize or see. Now stop for a moment. In some of your ways, acknowledge him. In all of your ways. So let's just stop and think about it real quick. We know that life is a gift. Everything that we have is on loan to us from God. God's the owner, he owns it all, and we're stewards and we're managing, we're managing, we're stewarding for him, okay? Sometimes when you say stewardship, people automatically go, okay, here we go, he's gonna talk about money. No, I'm not even gonna go there. Like, that's a part of it, that's a part of it. But God's like, all of your life, I own. I own it all. And because I own it all and I purchased you with, with my blood that was shed on the cross, like, I own you. I own your life. I own your heart. I, I, I own your family. I, I own your job. I own your money. I, I, own, I own everything. So when it comes to life, and, and I'll be honest with you, man, there's, I mean, sometimes I make decisions, man. I mean, I like, I like to make decisions, move fast, right? And sometimes I don't stop 
and include God in those decisions. Like I'm so guilty of that. So guilty of that. Just the other night, you know, me and Candace were um, talking about a few things and we could have easily transitioned to, you know, um, ending the conversation, right? Kind of getting back to the routine of life. And it was like, let's pray. And I have to be honest with you, I don't do that a lot. I don't do that a lot. I'm not like, babe, let's pray right now. And, and I was really convicted by that. That it's like, I, I need to take more opportunities like that. We need to take more opportunities like that, especially as, as men, spiritual leaders. And so that's including God in the moment. Okay, God, we surrender. We recognize that we, we, don't, we don't know what you're doing. We don't understand, so we surrender. And God, we want to acknowledge you. We want to recognize you. We want to see you in this situation. If you feel led to move, if you feel led to take a different job, if you feel led to date someone, if you feel led to just fill in the blank, what should you do? Seek the heart of God. Take it to prayer, right? And allow God's word to speak to you, and then through prayer, you speak to him, and then through prayer, he aligns your heart to his heart, and he changes you. That's the power of prayer. Through prayer, God changes you. Yes, prayer changes God, but ultimately, I think prayer changes us. It changes us. It changes our perspective on things. You know, I read about a man who had placed some flowers on the grave of his dearly departed mother, and he started back toward his car. Um, no. I read about a man who had placed some flowers on the grave of his I think it was his dearly beloved wife. He started back toward his car when he saw another man kneeling. Nope, dearly, nope, I got it. Nope, nope, let me go back, hold on. At first I'm like, I think this is a major typo. And if I tell this story, no one's gonna get it. Let me read it again, ready? Here we go. I read about a man who had placed some flowers on the grave of his dearly departed mother. He started back toward his car when he saw another man kneeling at a grave nearby. The man seemed to be praying with profound intensity and he kept saying things like, why did you have to die? Why couldn't you have lived? How could you have left me in such a predicament? Oh, I'd give anything if I could bring you back. Well, the first man walked over to him with sympathy and said, sir, I I don't wish to interfere with your private grief, but this demonstration of pain is more than I've ever seen before. Who are you mourning for so deeply? Is it your child? He said, oh no. He said, is it a parent? He said, oh no. The man said, well, who is it? He said, my wife's first husband. <laughs> now, it wasn't the death of the first husband that caused this man's problem. It was the decision to become the second husband that nailed him to the wall. Okay. Here's the transition. Maybe you've been sleeping on me. Ready? We need to include God in every decision that we make. And you know what? Sometimes that's hard. But we need to seek God's heart. You know, some, sometimes we want to separate our lives into two categories, the, the sacred and the secular. The sacred, you know, this, our relationship, our walk with Christ, which is 
I mean, a big part of that is Sunday morning where we gather and we, we sing and we fellowship and we serve one another and we, we grow in our walk with Christ and then we're just built up and we go out into the world as an army, as, as little lights, as Paul said, little lights in this perverse generation. But then sometimes we want to look at parts of our life as secular. Well, my, my job, my family, and a lot of decisions that I make, right? Maybe Monday through Saturday. Here's the deal. With God... There are no two boxes. There's not the spiritual and the secular. There's not the sacred and the secular. All of life, all of your life is stewarded under the umbrella and the presence of God. I mean, imagine if we included God in every aspect of our lives, our finances, our marriage, parenting, Grand, as grandparents with our grandkids and future decisions, you know, maybe jobs, friendships, who you're going to date, who you're not going to date, the timing of things. Sometimes we, we rush things. We rush things. You know, like Abraham, he, he was rushing the decision. He wasn't waiting on the Lord. God had promised him a son through, through his wife, Sarah. What, what did he do? They took matters into their own hands. They got a girlfriend on the side, Hagar, and he sleeps with her. And they have Ishmael, and it's created tension and problems to this very day. When you rush decisions and you don't include God in them, there are consequences that play out in our lives. Proverbs 3, 6, I, I told the band and I told you we're going to wrap up. We got to wrap up. Here we go. Here's the last point. In verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him. So that means see him, include him in every decision. That's the challenge this week. Include him. Seek his heart. Wait on the Lord. Wait on God to move. Wait on God to give confirmation about something. Don't take matters swiftly into your own hands. Right? That, that, that truth is, is so good for all of us. And then at the end of verse 6, and he will make straight your paths. So here's the result. What will happen if you trust God and you acknowledge him? What will God do? Point four. God will remove obstacles and will guide your way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a conditional promise. If we trust God and acknowledge him, then God will make straight our paths. Solomon is talking about guidance and direction. Now, the phrase make straight means to clear a path, to make smooth or right. This is what's amazing. When you include God, when you see God, when you bring him into your life, you bring him into your decisions, he has the ability to make straight, to smooth out your path, to remove obstacles, whatever those obstacles are, whatever those barriers are, he removes those barriers. He, I mean, he removes the, the congestion, right? And he, and he clears things up. I think he clears things up by giving you wisdom and, and providing for you and showing up in, in awesome ways in your life, right? How does God make straight? Well, let me back up real quick. With God, there are no coincidences. There are no accidents with God. God's providence is sometimes not seen in our lives. God's hand is always at work. Even when we don't see it, we call it God's providence, and God's providence is God bringing about his purposes in our life. We don't see it, but when we acknowledge and we include him in the decisions, he's like, listen, I'm going to smooth out your path. I'm going to do some things amazing in your life. I'm going to bless your life. And we can, we can trust in that. 
How does God do this? How does he straighten our paths? How does God reveal his will to us? Here's a few quick pointers. Number one, God speaks to us through his word. If you want to know God's will for your life, read God's word. You know, people are always looking for a word, a word from God. I, I need a word from God. I, let, me tell you, let, me, let me tell you where you can find that. The word of God. If you want a word from God, go to the word of God. Right? Go to the word. God will reveal himself to you. He, that's, that's, he's in the business of revealing and showing himself to us. And he does that clearly through his word. God's direction will never contradict God's instruction. If God directs you, it's not in contradiction to God's instruction. You know, I, I heard a preacher say years ago, where God guides, God provides. If God is guiding you, he's going to provide for you. Here's number two, God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an awesome, wonderful truth to know that the comforter, the helper, who is like Jesus, lives within us? He guides us. He gives us wisdom. He directs us if we tap into his presence and his power. He's the one that does the work in our lives. Number three, God uses other people's godly counsel to show us his will for our lives. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance... A people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So God uses godly counsel from other people to shape and to disclose God's will for our lives. What should be the, the passion and the pursuit of our lives? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust, put your full weight on, lean, stretch out on God, not yourself. And how do you do that? with all of your heart, the center, the seat of who you are, the, the core of your being to tap into this trust that's found in God. And don't lean on your own understanding. Don't, don't think that you have it all figured out. Don't, don't tap into your own wisdom, which is lacking, which is deficient, which you're short on. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. In everything that you do, every decision, every decision include God in it. And if you're married, include God in every decision with your spouse. And he will make straight your paths. You include God, he will smooth the road out for you. He'll remove obstacles. He will do things in his power that you cannot do on your own. And sometimes I think we are trying to remove the obstacles in our lives. I do it time and time again. And God's like, it's like God tap, taps me on the shoulder sometimes. What are you doing? Let me smooth the road out. Let me clear, clear the road. Let me make it smooth. You're, you're, it's kind of rocky and bumpy right now for you. But if you tap into my power and you, you bring me into this decision, I'm going to take care of you. So let this be a good motivation this week for us. Let's trust the Lord. Let's pursue the Lord. Let's bring him into all of our decisions of life. Let's pray.